Yeah, it's, it's probably um, a good place to start. So we are precision engineers, fabricators. I kind of made a decision really early on in life. I didn't want to stick on a machine yeah. turning or milling. Um, I knew I didn't want to be 40 years doing that. That's probably 18 months ago I realized there's no passengers. If you're not on board, you're going to be getting off the bus pretty quick. And that that's probably where you're a bit more of a, a, more of a director's role comes on. Um, it's being able to identify that, but now mm. the strength of the, the strength of the brand's the team. Easy, treat people the right way, talk to people the right way, compassionate, empathy, honesty, all that. What would you look for in an apprentice or in a, a new starter at Forge? Quite, um, quite close to my heart now. So the first thing I'm looking for, they can write me an email that tells me something about them. There are thousands of you all coming out to the workplace, all trying to find placement. And I need to see something that tells me you're different. Treat people the way they want to be treated. Mm. Be, be kind. Have some empathy. It's the best job in the world. I love every waking minute of it. Hey, I wanted to start off this episode in a different way. We were, thanks to you guys listening, in the top 10% of podcasts most shared globally, which is so impressive and means so much to me for a podcast that is less than a year old. Still, I want to set you a challenge of getting into that top 1%. So if you have ever enjoyed an episode or thought that the message from a guest was worth sharing, please send that episode to your friends. If you know someone that loves cars and is looking to get into the industry or change careers, help give them some inspiration. And speaking of inspiration, let's see what we've got today. Today's guest is at the heart of your car. Without knowing it, he has probably helped develop your car into the weapon that it is today. You probably have yet to think about the time, energy and manpower that goes into making your car that bit faster. But our guest has. Starting as a machinist, he soon engineered his way into motorsport and the aftermarket world, forging a path for his company to be a household name. Oh, and trust me, you're going to want to hear how. Do you have one thing you couldn't live without? A particular road, track, a cold start, or maybe even a cold brew? Well, this episode is kindly sponsored by Carburetor Coffee, the company dedicated to making high quality and great tasting coffee. After all, you wouldn't put 91 octane in your prized possession, so why settle when it comes to you? If you are as addicted to cars as you are to coffee, this is the only coffee you should care about. Oh, and it tastes incredible. From bean to cup, you can enjoy it however you like. So if you are like me, and you can appreciate a great cup of coffee, head over to carburettercoffee.co.uk and help yourself off to 15% using code IGNITION15 as a thank you. Pete, uh, welcome to the podcast. Nice to be here, man. It's been a while, just sort of chasing me down, but it's uh, I'm glad, glad to finally uh, be able to meet you uh, virtually on screen and participate with you, mate. Very good. That's fantastic. And so the podcast is all about finding a journey within sort of motorsport and automotive. And so I'd like to find out from my guests mm-hmm. where you started. That might be career or be early influences going on. So what really gave you an idea of what maybe you wanted to do with cars? Or- yeah, it's, it's probably um, a good place to start. So we are precision engineers. Uh, we're precision engineers, fabricators. Um, business started way, way back in 83 with my auntie, my uncle, my mother and father. And we were just working locally for um, mm-hmm. local business, uh, local businesses um, supplying machine components. And around 94, 95, met a lad who worked for us who had an Escort RS Turbo and he wanted a dump valve. And these dump valves were made by the likes of Graham Good Racing, who are still still going today. Um, 
he being an experienced engineer uh asked if we could we, we should probably make them so i don't think it's something we really do um he was that that much of an enthusiast he got a couple of billets of aluminium made his own valve together uh put his own valve together it worked quite well um and then we ended up going to the autosport show back in the day when it was a proper <laughs> motorsport enthusiast show um and we took a few of these valves around and we came back with an order for 150 off about four or five companies um and because it's just cutting aluminium we don't mind whether we cut aluminium or steel or mild steel or titanium or or whatever um slowly uh, a dump valve became a dump valve and you, then you needed a t-piece to be able to cut your um your turbo hose to fit your t-piece in um then there was a bleed valve um predominantly for rs turbos Renault 5 GT turbos, the old famous Ford Cosworth, maybe a Sapphire or a, um, maybe the, the three-door Cosworth. Um, and then that became an intercooler, became a header tank. Um, and slowly, the the aftermarket, as I would call it, rather than motorsport parts, gradually replaced the subcontract parts that we were we were supplying to the local area. And that's where we we are today. We have a range of parts that we sell to our distributors globally. Our office in Orlando, an office in Taiwan. It sounds awfully, can't sound a bit grand, but really, all we all we do is we we try to make good parts and distribute them around, um, sort of around the aftermarket. That's basically what we do. Yeah. And so, what about yourself, Peter? Did you always want to be an engineer, or was there another plan for you? Um, <laughs> I, I think it's out back in the. You know, was it coming out of the mid sixties, and then you sort of get into your um, get into your careers. You tend to follow perhaps what someone else in the family did. Um, my dad was um, my dad was a super like a shift supervisor, working for a local company, and my uncle was then was a precision engineer. Um, I went to help him a few times in the summer holidays. You think to yourself, well, what am I going to do? I probably should follow in that because it seems like a good career. Um, and back in the day, um, sort of apprenticeships within engineering were um, were, were a massive thing. So yeah. certainly within the Gloucester area, there would have been five or six world-class type companies that would have offered an engineering apprenticeship intake of between 20 to, certainly when I went to, a um, company I went, for, went to was a company called Doughty's, um, and there was Doughty Rotor, um, Doughty Hydraulics, Doughty Engineering, Doughty Electrics. So they would take on about 150 apprentices. Um, and I managed to get in the door on one of those. Um, I became a craft apprentice. And then that led to me to, I kind of made a decision really early on in life. I didn't want to stick on a machine yeah. turning or milling. Um, they put you with a guy, um, you know, to, to watch him work. And this guy was probably three days short of his 60th birthday and he'd been doing it 40 years and whilst he was highly skilled and a lovely fellow i knew i didn't want to be 40 years doing that anyway yeah. i um i managed to get a, a placement in a, a little department called airframes development um which opened my eyes to sort of the assembly and testing of aircraft undercarriage which was fantastic um so we got we were in the testing development department so i ended up being an aircraft technician specialising in undercarriage and that was a great sort of um, move from the machining but still within an engineering basis so I ended up as a technician there 
worked there until about 1990 and then joined Forge Engineering with my dad and my uncle around 1990. So, uh, yeah, no, no grand dreams of being an engineer or working in motorsport. You just tried to find a career that looked, you know, had some longevity and would hopefully pay some good money at some point. No, it's fantastic. So what was the conversation around the Escort then, if you guys were looking at doing more, more and more aftermarket parts for that? How did that grow into something bigger? Well, straight, straight away, you could see that if you were making a dump valve or a blow-off valve, as it was then, or even then a recirculation valve, which is just a variation of a pressure pressure relief valve for a turbo, um, it became quite attractive because the margins were more. Um, where you were probably chasing competitive products, sorry, competitive pricing for um, either if you were supplying into the MOD or local industry, um, you'd be quoting against two or three other local firms and often your price would be screwed down for your subcontract work. This enabled you to make a part for, oh, I don't know, probably figures, for 40 quid, sell it to the trade for 70 quid and probably retail it for 120. So it became, you know, that old no-brainer of, as this is this is a good lucrative market to be in. Uh, back then, it was nowhere near as um, as competitive. It is um, sort of uh, we were it was, a, it was a medium-sized pond with not many people in it. Now it's a little bit of a bigger pond with everybody in it, um, you know, globally. So yeah, it, it, that transition um, would have would have taken us into uh, across, as, as I say, your your Ford Cosworths, then your Renaults. Um, and then unbeknown to us, we made a little little valve. Um, there was a piston, a piston blow off, a piston recirculation valve that um, two guys in New York ended up buying. Uh, they had a company called Stratmosphere. And these guys said, hey, do you realize this valve that you're fitting on Cosworth fits ADTTs, the Mark 1, uh, the 1.8 Mark 4 Golf, and if you make a pair of them, they also fit the only 2.7 by turbo. And you thought, oh, well, actually, no, we didn't know because we weren't with sort of European aftermarket. Um, and with a little redesign, uh, their first order, um, I think we made a valve called the 006, FMDV 006, which was quite a chunky valve. Um, just all these were born upon a derivative of a Bosch plastic valve, a little Bosch plastic valve. Um, we made a smaller version, and our first order was for 400. So suddenly you've scaled from, you know, your Renaults and your Fords to uh, your VAG range, which then obviously quite quickly brought in Skoda, latterly, but then certainly sort of say a Bifa. So you had one product that went out across five different, um, four or five different engine platforms, which were all the same. Um, and that scaled us dramatically. And, uh, and as I say, then came into coolers for ADTTs and um, a range of silicon products. So, yeah, slowly, uh, sort of, well, I say slowly, yeah. I, I guess we scaled quite quickly. Um, and as I say, the, um, the subcontract work gradually got left behind. Yeah. And what about you in all of this? I mean, obviously, at some point, you've become managing director of this this big company so what was your kind of thoughts when this is all growing and happening because it's a family-run business at this point so are you guys having conversations about that behind the scenes no, about taking over um and one of, one of the things i probably should have done was keep some kind of journal to be able to remember how the how you end up sat where you are um and it, there was no great plan um it, it, uh, the business has always been around uh employing good people from sort of from the locality 
Um, one of our lads, um, Steve Speck, um, he's been with us, I don't know, 32 years. His wife works here. Uh, two of his mm. sons work here. My son's in the business now. My son-in-law's in the business. I think our average length of service is 11 years, six months. Um, and gr- gradually, it was it just became about working with good people, um, making the best products that we could. And um, I would say the reason um, I'm sort of managing director now is because my father retired. Uh, my uncle or my aunt um, sort of semi-retired. And you almost end up being in charge because you've been here the longest. Um, and, and perhaps I'm... You know, whilst I'm a reasonable engineer, we've got we've got some world class engineers working with us, uh, and I'm, I sort of add up the, uh, the 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 culture stuff and um, just making sure that and I know it all sounds right on and it, it all sounds a little bit you know happy clappy, but the um, the strength of our business is the people um, and just the mm. passion and the drive they bring to what we do. So it became it's an easy thing to do. Um, more we do, the more of what we do now is more process driven and a little bit more strategic, which is been quite interesting to learn. But there was no grand plan; it was just just trying to make the best parts we can. No. Yeah, but how? I mean, how personally for you, what, when the happen, moment happened when your dad did retire and you had to take over the company, how did that feel? I mean, what was the sort of um, like for you it, at that point? It was, again, it was pretty organic. It, it, one moment he he was retired and they were coming in two or three days a week and keeping her hand in. Um, you know, just to just to sort of when somebody's given you all, all that time and effort within their career, the last thing you want to do is say, "Well, you've retired now, goodbye." Um, so they 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 would still, and even today, my dad's ninety three, and he rings me most evenings and says, "What we got on tomorrow? How's work? How's the order books? How's the business looking? What about these EVs? What's going to happen with them?" Um, so again, there was there was no no conscious plan we just I, I i've ended up where i am because of of just you know whenever somebody has to be managing director so it may as well be me it could be any one of two or three other different people um occasionally i i, I get to do the i'll put my md hat on and i'll make a directive decision but um most of the time it's done here through it's just the right thing to do the guys if I was to leave tomorrow, the business would carry on, um, and and I know they'd still be making the right the right kind of business decisions to keep Forge where we need to be. And you mentioned the average average like life expectancy or work expectancy of like eleven years or something. So how do you keep that culture at a point where people want to stay there? Because I I remember watching a video about you and the originals. Yeah. I guess yeah. it was you, you, the, probably you and about two other people watched that. I reckon, Harry. Um, so I know that I say was one of the originals was the, the guys that started the business and I think there's uh three of us left now out of the five that there were. Um and it oh mm. honestly, there's no magic there's no magic potion to this or, or no magic formula. It, it comes down to and I'm and I'm you know, you seem like a switched on young man and I'm sure a lot of that comes down from your mum and dad or the people that bore you up. So it's really simple. You talk to people the way you want to be spoken to yourself and you treat people the right way. There's, you know, and then you just involve everybody in the decision-making process of, of what we're going to make, how we're going to make it. They're the skilled guys. They're the engineers. The strength of any business, I mean, if you, if you, you know, since sort of the last sort of four or five years, I've got more into my management leadership and strategy. 
I just added it. Um, yeah. um, I used to be a, a, a rugby player of reasonable ability um, back in the day. And if you align yourself with elite, high-performing business and high-performing sports teams, the parallels are exactly the same. Good teams. You talk about your Jurgen Klopp's and your Manchester, your Manchester City's with um, Guardiola or um, Liverpool. It's the culture within that team. No passengers. Everybody on the bus. Everybody mm-hmm. on board with the direction. Um, no room for energy sappers. Energizers only. And it and it, it runs itself. It, it it really does. Just good people doing good things. Um, takes you a little while to weed, perhaps to grow your character and realize that um, you need to be sometimes a little bit more directed with people that don't get the vision, don't get the journey that we're going on. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, well, whatever my name, 55, 56, that's probably 18 months ago, I realized there's no passengers. If you're not on board, you're going to be getting off the bus pretty quick. And that that's probably where you're a bit more of a, a more of a director's role comes on. Um, it's being able to identify that. But now mm. the strength of the, the strength of the brand's the team. Easy. Treat people the right way. Talk to people the right way. Compassionate, empathy, honesty, all that. It, it, there's no tangible word for these things. They are just feelings at the end of the yeah. day. How you feel sure. about someone. Yeah. Yeah, it's um I think the integrity, that's a massive thing I've been using of late as well mm. with it with the guys here and certainly our suppliers and anybody that works with us. It's the integrity. Mm. You know, if if I, if you know, if somebody says you're they're going to ring you, you're there to take the call, or if you're going to ring, I'll ring you back tomorrow. How many times have you called somebody in service? Don't matter whether you're buying a domestic appliance or anything, and you say, I'll ring you back tomorrow. Your default is I'll put the phone down and you go, now you will. Um, and then we, we, we try to have that um, integrity in everything that we do. That goes through to, you know, whether we're whether we answering the phone, um, receiving a phone call, or whether we're upholding a lifetime warranty of, with our, that we give on our products. We're going to offer a lifetime warranty. There needs to be integrity behind that. Um, sometimes we have a little bit mm-hmm. of an internal battle with that uh, ourselves on, you know, if, if I sold you a part for your car, Harry, and you sold your car and our part on that car failed, why would the warranty fail just because you've sold your car? Why would the warranty end because you've sold your car to a friend or, or to a, a private buyer? Um, there's there's a few people within industry or fleet food companies in industry do that with us that's not the case the, the the guarantee of our part is for the lifetime of that part and again it's the integrity of, of the build mm. and the engineers that, that make the team it's, it's, that we stand behind to make sure it's a world class product with a world class you know backed guarantee yeah and and so to develop these characteristics and develop this i guess management strategy things have obviously had to go wrong so what are those things that have gone wrong that you had to learn from and, and what was your reaction um, to those it things probably took time? me uh until the last sort of five years to understand that failure was perhaps acceptable and we have a we have a bit of a and i'm sure we come probably coined it from mclaren or something like that then i'm sort of dev- devouring podcasts at the moment um to, to sort of try and take in as much information as we can. But yeah, let's fail faster. Or actually, we use probably probably a different word for fail here. But um, we'll certainly fail faster because the quicker we fail, the quicker we recover and the quicker we learn. Um, so failure is mm. accepted here. Uh, I wouldn't say it's... You see, you've got to be careful with the language you use. 
is certainly accepted and is certainly welcomed as long as we learn the lessons very, very quickly. Um, you know, we, we've made some sort of some, some huge failures here, as in mistakes, um, perhaps going after markets that we weren't quite so strong in um, to, and, and looking left and right to diversify, um, which then brings us back into sort of our main performance motor, motor app, sorry, performance, petrol performance aftermotive is where we, we need to sort of stay. Um, and then, you know, when mm. to take us off on a sort of a slightly alternative, you some petrol performance and turbos within, um, um, that's one the jet skis. So we, so there's a petrol turbo engine on a jet ski. So it needs a pressure release valve and it yeah. needs a turbo actuator. Um, same thing with some off of, of highway equipment, petrol turbos within the off highway. So we can diversify in, in, into those markets. Things that haven't probably gone so well would be when we we probably try to get involved in those exhausts or maybe some wheels. Okay. Um, they start to get to the you know to the outer edges of the of what we should be doing, and we double in wheels and we double in exhausts, and now we partner with the likes of Miltech and uh, Remus and Scorpion because those are the guys with. Uh, with the expertise so yeah man, we're, we're quite happy with failure i think we, we tried to get into a bit of event management probably eight years ago we tried to run um a big show scene in the us um, we tried to take what we do over here with the uk track days and try to bring a forge event to the us yeah. that cost us about eighty thousand dollars which didn't go particularly well well i wouldn't change it for the world you know we you have to go in we met some great people mm. we met some um some very clever people that we still work with to this day. So yeah, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm all up with, uh, all up for a bit of failure as long as we learn from it. Yeah. I mean, and what about your personal life? If you don't mind speaking about that piece of what failures in your personal life you had to learn from as well, just to, 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 this whole journey must have taken quite a while. So taking that along yeah, with family, um, friends as well. Uh, there's some sort of parallels within that. So as I say, I used to play rugby to a reasonable level. Um, I was it? Bristol, Bath, Gloucester, and Worcester. And I look back now, and I can see there's a, there's a term, and I think you probably still see it in football and rugby to this day, but call yourself a journeyman pro. So I was a good... Mm. I mean, you, you, you probably had to be a little bit above average to, to play to, or to go to those sort of clubs. But um, I wasn't as good as I thought I was. Um and there were players around me that were certainly better. And looking back on it now, I can certainly see certain times when um, I wasn't being picked over certain other players because they were better than me. I couldn't understand that at the time. So you look back at it now and you try to sort of to sort of make make peace with where you are uh, comfortably. It's okay. Uh, it's okay to be average, but you just need to excel at being average. Mm. Um, there's world class in, in you know you can be a world class window cleaner you can be a world class in whatever you whatever you you decide to be um and i think it made me comfortable in my own skin that, that to make sure when i look in the mirror at the end of every day um i just need to make sure that whatever's looking back at me i've given everything i can and be that to my kids or be that to to the business um that's mm -hmm. what you what you what, what i try and do you know with a bit of compassion and also maybe having a bit of compassion for yourself as well um, so making sure that it, it again it's it's okay to fail, be it in sport, be it in business, be it with your family, your personal relationships. Um, try and learn from that, and then 
the things that you found challenging in, in your or I found challenging in my sort of early career, trying out my kids um, and, and, and my, you know, their, their girlfriends or boyfriends of, their, of my kids to, to understand that, um, again, it's, it, it's okay to, to make mistakes and, um, and just try and learn from them. So, yeah, the, the, my sporting career sort of um, has, has, has tracked a parallel with, with the business career in just trying to be the best again, the best we can be. Yeah, and I guess you learn this. From, I guess you learn this from sports, don't you? I mean, I certainly played a bit of rugby myself, and it's it, it is the people, the team yeah. you have around you. It, it's it's all about learning yeah, from each other. Yeah, there's times here when um, we've worked very heavily on our culture now, over the last two years. We have a we have a ten point plan called the Forge Way, um, which is sort of open and honest and calling people out, you know, passengers. And I think sometimes um, we can still be better. It calling people out. We, I think we, we, for, for, you know, perhaps uh, not um, delivering the right character traits that we want. It's certainly in a sporting environment. Um, uh, you, mm. you get to that point far, far quicker. Uh, but again, that's part of learning, learning the personalities of the folks that work with you, uh, and trying to work them out and what make what makes them tick, and how to make you know the best interaction you can to. To, um, to get the best out of them. I've kind of got a bit of a saying here that um, and I can remember it once or twice in my career. It was the Sunday feeling and the Sunday feeling was oh, work tomorrow. I don't want to go. Um, and I've, I've probably had that once or twice in my life and I we use that in our language here. That no matter what we've got going on, we don't want anyone on the Sunday. I expect them to come in like, you know, Bouncing in the door, but I don't want anyone to think, oh, shit, work tomorrow. I don't really don't want to go. It means we failed. It means the business has failed. Something's wrong within that department or that area. So um, just just trying to, again, trying to make it as right as it can be. We come to work for a long time, so we need to be having a good time when we're doing it. Um, we've got to be enjoying ourselves, got to have a bit of a laugh, a bit of a joke in what we're doing. Don't take each other too seriously or what we do too seriously. You know, just trying to enjoy what we do. Yeah, and so, and so, if I'm coming to you as a as a brand new engineer out of university or out of an apprenticeship or out of any sort of thing, I guess what would you look for in an apprentice or in a a new starter at Forge, and how does oh, that transpire? Hey, I wanted to ask a massive favour of you. Eighty percent of you who listen to the podcast regularly don't follow. If I could ask you just to hit follow wherever you listen, I would really appreciate it. It's an excellent way for us to get bigger and better guests and the ability to grow the community beyond anything we could imagine. So thank you. Close to my heart now. So the first thing I'm looking for is somebody to come from university or from one that can write me an email that tells me something about them, that tells me um, mm. what their point of difference is and why they want to come to Forge. It's, it's something that um, I've talked to, talk to the guys. This is about that time of year. And all the so, so there are any mechanical engineers watching this, and you're at Coventry Uni, or you're doing motor vehicle engineering, or you're in sixth form, and you think you want to be an engineer, or you want to work in Formula One, or you want to be a mechanical engineer. What these guys need to remember at these young, this young age, is there are thousands of you, all coming out to the workplace, all trying to find placement, and I need to see something that tells me you're different. The amount of um. Emails I get, which is basically 
I need some work placement and I come to you. Um, it, mm. it, um, I, I get quite angry because I want, there's so much talent within the country. There's so much uh, talent within um, our schools and with our unis. There's a massive disconnect between, I don't know what you had, Ari, but when I was a kid, we used to have a thing called a careers master. And this careers teacher, master, would tell you about things outside of your business, sorry, outside of your school, what you needed to do to try and get an advantage by writing a letter. Um, and, and these guys just need to go on the website, you know, look at what we do. Um, so we've got a lad coming in next week from a local grammar school, uh, Pete's grammar school. One of the reasons I want to get him in is I want to go back to his teachers and say, what are you saying to these kids? You know, how are you getting them to apply for uh, a position within industry? Because you're not, you, you, they might be smart, they might be great in their sciences, they might be great in their engineering. What you're not preparing them for is the real world. Um, I'm, I'm quite passionate that we engage with local schools, with local academies, local universities. Um, and we, you know, as an old engineer that came out of school, I'm that old that I, I predate. GCSE, a thing called a CSE, and I had one of those. So academically, I was uh, I was not great, um, but it allowed me to, to 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 become a people person to communicate. So we need to let these guys know that there's other things outside uni as well. Go and find yourself an apprenticeship. Get yourself an internship. When somebody tells you, "I'm sorry, I haven't got any vacancies," ask them, "Can I come and work for you for free for two months?" I can guarantee you, if you yeah. if you knock on the door and somebody says, "I just need some experience," I'll come for two months for free. They've got something about them, so it, it's being different, standing out, making sure that you you try to be the best you can be when you're um, you know, and that can be that, that doesn't matter what you what you're trying to do, whether it's banking or sales, you've got to have a point of difference and you've got to bring something that's unique to you. So uh, yeah, it's um, it's. Well, it's quite important to me that it's you know I see so much talent with the kids um, and, and youngsters that we we we've got to make sure that they uh, they understand what it is to, to communicate properly. Yeah, and it's brilliant, and it's something that I still part of the reason I start this podcast was that, like you, like a careers careers master, I had a careers advisor. They would they told me that you can go to university or you can go to full time employment. Yeah, there was no middle ground. And the only the only apprenticeship that was offered to me was one that was found yeah. by someone near above. And by the time I went to apply yeah. to it, that had already gone. So, yeah, like I guess it's, it's incredibly important and it's something that I want to do more of. And I, I'll speak to you a bit offline because I've, I've got some ideas. But going into schools, I think it's yeah, a great we, step. We've got to do it. For, yeah, for both my kids to go in. schools um, in Gloucester. And all those grammar schools wanted was to tick a box at the end of their career, end of their school career, to say they completely sixth form and they, they were successful with university. Well, my son was one of only 300 kids that left school, didn't do sixth form, didn't do uni, and he's doing all right. School wasn't for him. Uni wasn't for mm. him. And it isn't for everyone. Um, you, you know, why you want to sell yourself for 36, 40 grand worth of uni debt when you potentially could get an internship or an apprenticeship or, or, or something with, uh, with industry that then actually pays for you to learn. Uh, uh, you know, you might not be earning 25, 30 grand a year, but you won't be coming out with that kind of debt. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm very, very 
very passionate about it. And as business and time allows, that's something that I, I definitely want to get into with the, with the schools and the colleges. Um, I'm happy if any of the schools want to get in touch. They want to come down with a minibus or a bus full of people. And I can show them around the engineering um, side of the business. There's only probably about 18 months ago when I had this moment where you think of engineers. So within, if I look out of my window now, I've got one guy who's working on 3D rapid prototyping and scanning and design. I've got another guy that's doing manufacturing mm. ops and uh, production engineering. I've got another guy who came into us as an assembler who now works in the continuous improvement of the engineering strategies within the business. I've got a videographer. We've got a photographer. I've got a, um, a text writer. Then within our accounts department, we've got two people, uh, two that are AAT qualified. I've got one that's sort of more qualified in bookkeeping. Downstairs, we've got a logistics department. They're shipping all over the world. So we've got guys that are looking and dispatching globally. We go over to the engineering department. I've got somebody working in a polishing shop. I've got somebody in an uh, in, in assembly. So we've probably got within the 54 people that work here and different careers. So there's so much that you can, you can, you know, you think, I want to be an engineer. What well, do you want to be an engineer? What kind of engineer? Do you want to be drawing it? Do you want to be designing it? Do you want to be scanning it? Maybe you want to be putting it together. Maybe you want to be testing it. So, yeah, it's uh, there's quite a bit of diversity within you know, a little old business in Gloucester um, doing some very, very skilled stuff. And, and the guys that do it, they're excellent within their sections as well. And it's all all goes to make just, just the old forge thing tick along. Yeah, it's, it's brilliant to, to see, Peter, that you're looking, not just looking at the future of forge, but looking at the future of the people coming into forge as well. Um, to, to speak about the future of forge, I know that EVs can be a scary topic. But what, have you guys thought about that, and are you? What are you doing towards that sector of things? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a great question. Each everybody, um, we get asked it a lot. Um, so we are working with a couple of EV companies at the moment to help them with battery cooling technology. As, mm. You know, as we've been on our own little journey and understanding of the what you need to do is get the batteries as cool as they can be cooler batteries, better performance, better longevity of, uh, of battery life. Um, so that generally involves a radiator, a uh, reservoir and a cooling system, which is exactly the same as in your as your day-to-day vehicles. So we've been doing, we've done some uh, some radiator work. We've done some sort of, uh, it's basic plumbing front to rear of the vehicles. Yeah. Uh, we've done some, uh, we've done some hub work as well for a drivetrain. Um, I don't see us particularly getting into sort of the battery technology. More the ancillaries that, that, that go around it. There's a local company to us um, called Cleveley. It's a little bit of a mouthful. They're called Cleveley EV. Um, uh, Matt Cleveley specialised in way back. He was looking after Nissan Leafs and cars like that. So we've worked with him and we've done a set of coilover suspension and some front brakes for Tesla Model 3. So yeah. it's bouncy suspension, stoppy brakes, same stuff. Um, just trying to do a little bit more of the accessory aftermarket into into the EVs. Um, I don't think that's going to be particularly 
sort of a massive market for us, but it's it's good for us to diversify. Um, and also, I don't think, and I think there'll be a fair few people within our industry that won't be panicking just yet. Uh, whilst governments are going to legislate, you know, there, there's going to be more hybrid and more electric vehicles. Um, the country isn't suddenly in 2020 or 2030, 2030 whatever, going to stop running com- internal combustion engine. Yeah. You know, it, 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 that the, the, the diesel engine delivers our product all over the country. Um, there, there are people that are probably not going to buy uh, electric vehicles who then will continue to modify their petrol vehicle so long as we don't get any silly government legislation that it stops the modification of vehicles because there needs to be an understanding that there are thousands of people employed within the aftermarket industry mm. being they're making brakes or wheels or 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 parts for, for turbo cars so in fact one of our biggest selling products is for a 20 year old mark four mark four golf you know that car's probably you can buy for less than a grand now people are still modifying them so we've got an eye on the ev we've got an eye on working with uh, other automotive manufacturers um whilst we also sort of um maybe relook at uh, some of the products that we've already developed to see whether we can um we can we can retrospectively improve them and make them a little yeah. bit more competitive price wise so yeah we'll be we'll be good we'll be good for a few years yeah but yeah we'll uh, we'll be working with the ev guys as well no it's brilliant i mean there's there's a there's this theory that the next seven years cars or petrol especially petrol stuff are going to get crazier because if you can look at cutting its head off manufacturers i mean you already see it like the porsche dakar and then the hurricane and the, the stuff like that that's just getting weirder and weirder which i'm all for so yeah definitely like the, modifying if not oems are going to start modifying their cars so yeah that, that's, that's always been a tough one where the uh with the oems sort of um i know there's a massive law thing where porsche tried to stop you buying anything that wasn't porsche uh took to, to replace your parts with as it's had to be an oem porsche part made by porsche obviously you've got a whole industry that are making uh accessories porsche accessories or you know porsche fan belts or cam belts or or whatever so that was a, a good legislation within the, the, the european courts to make sure that there is a sort of some competitive the ability to compete and offer some some alternative products um and i think this, the diversity is what's going to keep the market you know sort of keep it innovative and keep it going and um, what about yourself peter again like for the next the next sort of five to ten years if i was going to say those five to ten years it can be the best for you personally not just the business what do you see happening in that in that time? Um, what would you like to happen? I guess. Well, first and foremost, I I've got no plans for retirement. It's the best job in the world. I love every waking minute of it. Um, it can be a little bit challenging at times, but uh, I can't imagine doing anything else. Um, it's awesome to have my son in the business, my son-in-law, and also a young management team that work with me, um, and to see them grow um, and just become better at everything that they do is 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 it's been incredible. But the language that they use around the business now, the way they look at the strategy and what the business is doing, the way they're understanding the operation. Um we were not five years ago, we none of us knew what lead manufacturing in Kaizan was. Um now um uh, it's part of the daily language and honestly it gives me goosebumps to hear talk uh about the way they want the business to become sort of more streamlined. 
more organised, more organised, and just more efficient, um, efficient operationally. And then when we also have a little look at the, you know, the environment, how we can be, you know, in a way, we're probably um, trying to, we're probably increasing our our, our carbon footprint in, in some ways with um, mm. with some of the vehicles, but also how we, I don't know, it sounds like you know, green environmental bullshit, but we have. To try and remove, reduce our, you know, reduce our emissions, and try to be the, the best we can be within that. So there's, uh, we've got a little initiative here called Forge Goes Green. We've got solar all over the roof. We chucked out all the foam packaging. We use recycled cardboard, and that was one or two guys just working away. As a, you know, as, that wasn't the main focus of their work. It was just about, well, what if we try this? What if we use these? What if we source these boxes that have all come from recycled cardboard? Mm. Of course. I gotta sit here and my first question is, well, is that gonna cost us? Is yeah. it gonna cost us more money? Well, the initial outlay is gonna cost us more money. So okay, where what's our payback longer? Well our payback on the longer is actually saves us money and we're more uh, ecologically friendly. Well, why wouldn't you do that? So bringing the young the young management team through, um just making sure that we invest in in the people, um, we invest in the infrastructure within the business. Um, we want to be paying paying people the right kind of money for the jobs that they do. Um, we pay the national living wage, and actually we pay above the national living wage, which is important. And you know, when you're looking at to put your political hat on, when you're looking at what the teachers are up against, and the Royal Mail workers, and the train drivers. And anybody that's striking at the moment, if we as businessmen look after the people, the business looks after itself. You know, when um, we've got shareholders within the business, and my goal is to make sure, okay, we'll look after the shareholders. We'll look after the people that are in, you know, I don't put myself in this, but whatever, whatever, whatever they need to be looked after. But with these 54 people rocking up each day, giving it everything, where are we? Mm. So let's invest in them. Um, and that's kind of make sure that the, the young management teams will take that ethos on, the, the ethics of looking after each other. Uh, then we'll be all right. So that's what drives me on. That's what, you know, I get to be 60s or whatever, just sort of tinkering around and just sort of help them say, you know, let's just do the right thing by people and mm. your suppliers. Pay people on time. 30 days, pay them 30 days. We'll try and drag it out to 45 days. Everybody needs to get paid. Everybody needs to earn. Look after each other. It's not hard. No. I know it might seem pretty simple to you, Peter, but I guess most of the people that run businesses that I guess I know of or people, my mates that work for businesses, that isn't the priority for them as, a, as an employee. So how did you make sure that was your first priority? Right back to the beginning. H when we said treat people the way they want to be treated. Mm. Be, be kind, have some empathy. You know, I, I often joke that when I had my kids, there was no paternity leave for chaps. Um, and it's a different time now. So the guys go off on 10 days. And having my my, my daughter and my son, uh, both some sort of grandchildren now, been aware of the different times and the different sort of struggles that go on, um, to be able to give the guys a, a, a minimum of 10 days. Mm. And if they need... An extra three or four days because whatever then then take take those three or four days at some point the understanding of just doing the right thing 
for me will come back in in benefiting the business operationally at, at some point. Um, if your kids are sick, go up and take care of your kids. Mm. Usually there'll be a wife going on to take care of the kids or a father. And if you're not fully focused on the, the well-being of your family, then it detracts from the job that you're able to do. So family first, board second. Go home, take care of your stuff. Once that's taken care of, come back. Otherwise, all they're going to be doing is they're going to be working in an environment where all they're worried about is their family. Just take that away. Go and look after your family. Go and we can cope for two, three days a week, two weeks if we need to. Mm. No, you don't need to book holidays for that time on. No, you're not. Yes, we are going to pay you because you're already going to be going through grief. So how is not paying you going to help? And that's our point of difference. We want to be different to other employers, other other businesses. When I say, well, I don't want to be different. It's doing what's right. Yeah. You know, it's it's just doing what's right. People, you, you know, and there'll be people thinking, oh, yeah, you know, you'll get taken advantage of. Yeah, at times, we'll be, we might be. I'm all right with that because eventually you, you went through, you're getting the right people. And they don't take advantage of you and they realize they they appreciate what we do for them and i appreciate what they do for us so it's, it's everybody wins mate it's not hard uh, and so peter i know we're coming towards the end here but there are so a few questions i like to ask so like a fast five questions um and the first of those being what's your top three cars if you're going to have any three cars my top three cars uh i've been in it for a while i really don't need uh, i don't want for much so um as I said, I'm an old rugby player, so I'm a bit old and broken. So I like something that I can step into, not step down to. So we've got Mark 8 Golf out there, Golf out there at the moment. I don't know, around about 380 horsepower. And they've got the guys got on coil over, so I have to sit on my ass on the floor to get into it. Um, and I struggle to get in and I struggle to get out. So what my, what I really enjoy driving at the moment is we've got a three litre V6 Volkswagen Arrow Rock, and I absolutely love it. It's got heated seats. Got good good uh, end car entertainment, and I could sit up there. I could get through the floods. I can get through the snow, and we, you know, we can rock around and see our dealer. So I'm, I'm happy with my Amarok. Um, yeah. What else would I? Uh, I, I I'm not. I've driven one, but uh, I quite like the new the new Defender. It looks nice. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, and it, and it also has a little bit of heritage to the. Uh, to the old, uh, to the old landing. Um, so um, I'd, I'd be happy with either. Of, with, with, I'm lucky to drive the Amarok on a daily basis, but um, yeah, I, I'm I'm no Ferrari, I'm no um, McLaren. And in fact, if we go to a car show, um, I generally my car of the show will generally be um, a classic. Some uh, it'll be um, an Alfa Romeo. Maybe a really nice Lotus Cortina, mm. nice Mark One Escort, something that has the heritage. Um, I park park up on you know, Lancia, Delta, Integrale. I mean, come on, probably fetching six figures there as those are now. Um, and I put that up against any any kind of super supercar. So yeah, fairly simple on that. Fantastic. And the next one being, if you have any car to drive on any road or track, but you can only do it once, where would you go and what would you take? Okay, so. I would go back to the uh, to the Nurburgring. So mm-hmm. um, 
which was I've never been on a track ever <laughs> in my life. And the very first time was the closed circuit uh, with Destination Nurburgring when they closed the they closed the circuit. And we took our Mark Five golf around there. So I would go back in our old Mark Five smoker, and I'd go around the Nurburgring in that again. And I went around with a right hand indicator on because I was absolutely shitting myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was like go big or go home. So the mm-hmm. boys would say, "Oh, do you want to go to a track day? So we got to go do Silverstone." I was like, "Do you know what?" I've been on the best. I don't need to go anywhere else. But no, the the, the Nurburgring was in, was just incredible. Uh, the sort of surroundings, the odd microclimate as you go around the uh, yeah. the circuit was just amazing. So yeah, nothing nothing grand again, as in car wise. But yeah, the Nurburgring was pretty special. That's a fantastic track. And I went there. I think it, was, it must have been eleven or twelve. But yeah, I got taken around the M threes. They did M three and five ring taxi. And yeah, yeah. oh, it's an amazing experience for anyone that wants yeah. to go. I would hundred percent recommend it because it's amazing. I would. Yeah, if you get a chance, I'd, I'd always say to try and do one of the one of the events where uh, they sort of close the circuit. Mm. Um, so it's not you know everybody out there. You can you can you can find any number of horrendous crashes on YouTube, but the the destination Nurburgring Nurburgring is fantastic closed circuit, um, and you can get in the ring taxis. So yeah, do do it right, do it safe. And the next question is, so who inspires you to looking at people or things? Just what in your life gives you inspiration? Um, yeah, that's probably changed over the years. Um, I think my first real realisation of um, somebody, I thought, yeah, that's cool, was probably when I read Losing My Virginity by Richard Branson. Yeah, yeah that probably that probably set me off on the, uh, you know, you can, and I know he's right that they're at the top of sort of entrepreneurs or whatever. But if you get down to the basic sort of level of, um, of how it all started, it was just like, a, you know, um, we have a sort of a saying here. It's like, um, we never say we can't do something until we've had a go at it. Mm-hmm. So, you, you know, Brant, Branson would be up there. Um, and, then, and then sort of you take your, um, I'll take your sporting, your sort of sporting people. You, if you ever listen to uh, Dame Kelly Holmes and see what she went through, um, you know, in her, in her sporting career and then in her, in her, her working career, just to listen to some of the some of the way they sort of endured um, and and showed um, just showed sort of a resilience to keep going. Uh, I think um, you know resilience in sport and in business is the same thing, isn't it? So yeah, those those two be uh, bit there for me. Fantastic. And the next one is again this podcast it was was founded around the idea that to speak to people that have not have done it but have have found a way to make their career work so what advice would you give to people that want to do something with their passion no matter what that passion is well there's so many podcasts out there moment age that would sort of give you give you this sort of advice in the behind if you enjoy what you do you never work a day in your life well i didn't know what i wanted to do uh, and i ended up being an engineer <laughs> and that has left, led me to sort of enjoy what i want to do um and i think it's you know it's, it's quite tough to say to people like you know Follow your passion, and your passion can become your job. Well, I think you need some some luck within within that. Mm. Um, so I think you should try to follow your passion if you can, um, and because it, that will align itself um, more easily with with sort of motivation and and drive. But passion, my my passion became engineering, so you, you need a little bit of an open mind to. Try as many things as you can. So as a parent, you go play cricket, you play rugby, you play football, basketball, karate, judo, swimming, 
find something. Maybe it's none of those, but you'll just become a better individual before for doing them. Um, and I just have a go at everything, you know. And, and if you're in a job that truly makes you miserable, try and find conversations around with with other friends, uh, and try and find something that you think, yeah, that might work for me. Mm. Don't you, you know? You, what we say, you're here for a long time, so we better be having a good time doing it. Um, and that's that's the most important thing. But yeah, follow your passion if you can, but don't be afraid to. You know, track along for a couple of years and find out if something, some other opportunities arise. Travel as much as you can. Ask as many questions as you can. Talk to many as many people as you can. And um, just be the best version of you. Don't be uh, don't be overawed by anyone. <coughs> Excuse me. Brilliant. And and the last question, Peter, is is what you love most about engineering. And I said it wasn't your passion starting off, but now. What is it? What is it for you? Excuse me. That's all right. Yeah. Um, hang on, Excuse me. Too much chat. What do I know about engineering? It gives me the opportunity to work with and speak with, speak to um, so many talented people, so many different types of engineering, be it en- you know, engine building, uh, composite. It just, um, it's just a rich industry that allows you to continually test yourself and continually meet, you know, just just good people. Be be they professors or be they just good engineers. You know, there's there's so much opportunity. Um, as you know, there's there's more than one. There's commercial engineering. There's industrial engineering. There's chemical engineering. Essentially, we're all making bits and pieces. Mm. So, yeah, just lots of lots of great opportunities. Just love engineering on the end of it. We're going to do something. That's brilliant. And um, and Peter, thank you, thank you for your time. It's it's been a pleasure to not only just look at Forge from afar for quite a while now, and I'm, I admire what goes on, but to, to speak to someone who is clearly leading the company in, in such a great way and, and has set up things along there, it's a privilege. So, so thank you. No, thank you, man. Thanks for inviting me on. I can't believe anybody wants to listen to me right now. But um, if anyone does, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm quite proud. Thank you. Peter is all about people, making sure they are paid fairly and treated well. And he knows when it comes to working, you are the best tool in his workshop. It was an absolute pleasure to get to ask one of the biggest aftermarket parts companies in the world what they look for in an employee. I've been thinking more and more about why I started this podcast and how it can be the best and I wanted this time around to make sure that you knew by the end of it how to get into companies like Forge and what it takes to work for Peter and a team like his. So if you are the young engineer that wants to route his way to a career to be proud of then you know what to do. And so with that being said I am Harry and this is the Ignition Podcast. Thank you for listening. This podcast is lucky enough to be sponsored by iliketorace.com, a brand new social network all about motorsport. And unlike other certain social medias, it's not toxic, and it is just full of people that love motorsport and competition. I mean, I'm competitive by nature to the point where I've got a bit too aggressive in certain ways. I mean, just to, just to think of the place I can now go to discuss McLaren and to discuss the ongoing drivers and who's going next. I was gutted when Daniel left, but I can't wait to see how they progress and 
get other people's opinions on I Like to Race. I'll be getting in there, getting involved. So if you like me and you love competition and you love motorsport, and if you want more information, look to the show notes below.